Welcome back to the Evolving Wellness Podcast. My name is Sarah, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Jalal Khan on the show to talk all about quantum health and how it relates to dentistry, our mouth. And the medical model is super quick to separate out all these different systems, the brain, the heart, the digestive system, but what about our mouth, right? How does the body operate as this one whole thing? So in the beginning of the episode, Dr. Khan and I really dive into quantum health, what that is, how light drives our metabolism, how we can have the healthiest mitochondria, how weight loss could be impeded if we are in this state of poor mitochondrial health, how to improve that, and then we dive into dental health and how our dental health can affect our posture and the pelvis and all these other very fascinating things. I'm very excited for you to listen to this. Make sure that you are following Dr. Jalal over on Instagram. His handle is at K2Caliber and he has a wonderful educational page where he puts up great videos and all kinds of wonderful posts and he's going to be launching his website and coaching business very, very soon. So make sure you are following him there. I'm also gonna put links down in the show notes. I wanna thank quickly two sponsors of today's episode. The first one is going to be Viva Rays. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, you cannot see the fact that I was wearing blue blockers here in this episode because it was recorded at night after sundown because he's in Australia, so it was the only time we could record. But Viva Rays is the brand that I trust to actually block the light that they say they do. So many other knockoff brands will claim to block blue light, but they actually don't. So check out Viva Rays and use my code yogi to save 15% over at Viva Rays. The second sponsor of today's episode is going to be Optimal Carnivore. They have just come out with a new complex called Bone and Joint Restore, which I am super excited about. It is bone matrix, bone marrow, and cartilage. And these are going to be fantastic things to take if you have any kind of issues with achy joints or just any sort of cartilage bone issues. This is just a great, great supplement. And the thing I love about it is that they don't add liver into all their supplements. There are other organ meat complex companies that add liver to everything and it's just not necessary. You can overdo the liver. So check out Optimal Carnivore and I'm actually gonna give you a brand new link this week where you can get special pricing just for my audience, it's going to be optimalcarnivore.com backslash Sarah for that landing page. That will also be in the show notes for you to check out as well. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm really excited about today's guest. I have actually just started following him not so long ago on Instagram and really diving into a lot of his work and heard him speak on another podcast and just had to bring him here. So thank you so much for being here today. Let's let's talk about you and, and uh, welcome. Thanks so much, Sarah. My name is Jalal. I'm a dentist based in the Great Land Down Under, Australia. And um, we know a few things about health down here, so I'm trying to learn um, what a lot of the good folk um, in North America and Europe are, are piecing together about health and quantum coherence and spread the message down here. 
Yeah, you're doing a great job of it too. I mean, I'm going to put your Instagram channel in the show notes for anyone to go follow because your posts are really good. And I was, when I first found your, uh, when you found, first found your channel, I started watching some of your videos and the way you explained deuterium and you just have a really, a, a wonderful gift at making some of these quantum principles understandable to the everyday person, which I think we need to make it more accessible so people can continue to improve their health. Would you say? Totally agree with you because when I first went down the quantum biology rabbit hole, thanks to Dr. Jack Cruz, obviously my mind was spinning and I understood the jargon because I'm a a scientist by nature. That's what I was always passionate about. And uh, I'm in the health space, so I understand all the the medical jargon. But even for me, I had to kind of read and reread or listen and and re-listen to things. So um, it was a task for me to simplify all the language and all the words into a way that I could understand. And I guess it just so happens that it's uh, easy for other people to understand the way that I explain things as well. So it's, um, it's very exciting because you, I mean, we're trying to use a language, English, French, Italian, whatever language we're trying to use, to explain phenomena which we can't really explain. Like it's, um, language is not a sufficient tool to explain light and electromagnetic frequencies and water and magnetism mm-hmm. and the interrelation between the two. So then how are we supposed to picture that in our mind? It's it's so hard to work through that. But um, I've kind of come up, come up with a framework in my mind of how to break down energy and information and how they're different, but how they kind of unite to create this quantum coherence, which all of us quantum folk keep on talking about. Yeah, I think it's it's wonderful to to create a language around it that people can understand. I was talking with uh, Veda Austin last night and she's got, I don't know if you've looked at her work at all, but it's all about consciousness and water. And it's, I mean, it's fascinating. And she's just started working with a quantum physicist who his job is to actually understand the science behind what she's actually doing. Cause nobody really yeah. can the things that she's doing right now with water and consciousness, people are like, wait, what is actually going on, right? Like a lot of us in the quantum health space doing things with our health and people are like, wait, how did you, how did you do that? Right? How, how did that work? And so I think that, you know, breaking that down a little bit for people who are stuck in this kind of chemical model of how the body works is important for, for all of us improving our health. 100%, 100%. Yeah, so- I always kind of, I kind of always ask patients when they come to see me, like what does health look like to them? Mm. Because I think so many of us, are, we want health or we want optimal optimal health, but the definition for that is um, can be mixed or can be a bit murky. What does that actually mean? But for me, it means kind of a, a, a flow state of optimal flow of energy and information. Because if you think about it, when did you realize that you were unwell? Really, you were lacking energy perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, that was when I was trying to get pregnant is when I realized like, Oh, my, I'm not as healthy as I thought I was. And that an issue with fertility, an issue with anything in the body is a mitochondrial issue most of the time. And that's yes. an energy issue, right? Yeah. And the, the thing is, I think the, the penny drop for me when I realized that it was energy and then also information. Yes. Because you've got all this energy floating around in your system. But how do you order that so that it can be it can be delivered on demand? So I kind of described the flow state as kind of three prongs you've got the job to harvest energy from your environment and there's three sources of that there's the sun of course there is food and because food is fundamentally electrons and then there is obviously grounding but 
So once you harvest that energy from the environment, you have to be able to store it. Yes. And so that's where we use our water networks, right? And so once we are using the water networks as a capacitor to store energy and and information and we're not losing it to our environment, then we need to know how to dispense with that energy and use it on demand, whether that be for voluntary functions like day-to-day walking, exercise, etc., or whether that's involuntary functions like peristalsis. So that entire flow of energy is a thermodynamic flow of energy, interaction of heat with matter, but it's not just good enough to think of thermodynamics as the way that our body works because it's really fundamentally quantum thermodynamics. Well, quantum's a big word. When I first started getting into it, I was like, oh my God, what does this word even mean? Um, And so many people still don't know. Well, for me, it's like, I mean, if we want to be into definitions, it's like the smallest unit of a system, which is particles at the end of the day, which are fundamentally waves if we really get to the nitty gritty. But it's the information in electron spins that those are that electrons are carrying that we've has harvested from the environment that are conveying to the energy flows how they need to be stored, how they need to be dispensed with and used. And um, there's no energy that flows nicely without information. Mm. And so then the question is, in, in layman's terms, what is information? It's light at the end of the day. Yes. How do we know what time of the day it is? How do we know that it's daytime? What's the first thing you and I do? We open the window. Go outside. Yeah, go outside. And that was, that's a fundamental thing. I think it's hard for people. I just did a live stream today on Instagram and I was trying to explain why looking at, and I do this, my audience is like, please don't do it again, Sarah, please don't tell us, but why you don't want to look at your phone first thing in the morning. You always want to look at the sun, like sun before screens always, because it's information about it's, you know, March for you, it's March 23rd. For me, it's March 22nd still. But we're getting that information when we are opening the window, going outside first thing in the morning about what time it is. And that's informing our body to do several vital vital things, right? 100%. 100%. And um, it, it really then, I mean, if you think about it for so many health clinicians, what we've just spoken about, like they weren't taught that at, at dental school or medical school or nutrition school. Right now. And so we're like, oh my God, I've studied this many years. I've studied a decade and I've got to go back and relearn everything. And uh, so that is kind of hurdle that we have to cross right now is finding a way to make it easy for health clinicians to understand so that they can um, at least pick up with the protocols and, and run from there. Because I mean, if we're talking about energy flows and information flows throughout our body, what is the one hormone that tells our body about how much energy we've harvested from the environment in the hypothalamus. It acts on the hypothalamus at midnight, every night, leptin. Right, exactly. Yeah. And most doctors and practitioners don't even test for that or know what it is or know anything about it, which is insane, you know? And I mean, we, we can understand why, because leptin was only discovered in 1994. Right. So in medical terms, like we need centuries before something becomes exactly. mainstream. Common, yeah, exactly, yeah. So that's why it's just new. But um, I mean, Dr. Jack Cruz came up with the leptin prescription, and I mean, you've got a really great prescription as well. And uh, slowly we'll we'll come around. And I think it's I think it's great to see doctors and other centralized physicians 
starting to see the big picture. I'm always having conversations with doctors down here and um, trying to bang my head against a brick wall and, uh, and get them to see the light, so to speak. But it's a journey which uh, I was born for. Um, I, I, I have it. to do this. I have to do this for for our children, isn't it? Absolutely. It is. It is for the children. And I love that, you know, you've got young children, I've got young children. And I think we have to continue to pass this information onto them and then and lead by example. You know, we can't, it, it's motivation for me to not be glued to my cell phone all the time and on technology constantly, because the kids are, you can't, tell the children not to do something. If you're not doing it, they're going to be wanting to do what dad or mom is doing, right? 100%. I was thinking, okay, how do we explain this energy and information in a way that my mom could understand, for instance? I love that. And so you've got an economy of goods and services. And so everyone is either going to work and producing a good or they're producing a service. So they're adding value to the economy, right? And they want to be able to measure that value so that then they can access another good or service that someone else has provided. And the thing is, is that like if I'm doing dentistry and someone's growing oranges, how many oranges equate to the checkup and clean that I've performed for a patient? It's hard to quantify. And so that's why we use money. So money mm-hmm. is essentially information. And that it's telling the person that I'm buying the oranges from, okay, well, this is how hard I work. This is the time and energy I put into a checkup and clean. And this equates to that amount of oranges that I want to buy. And um, that's fundamentally what's going on in that body. Because at the biochemistry level, which is where 99% of medicine is stuck at, you even in the biochemistry textbooks, all they're talking about is redox chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. So which is reduction and oxygen, which is passing electrons from one biomolecule to another or hydrogens from one biomolecule to another. So there's a constant swap of this information, electrons and hydrogens and the quantum spins that they carry. We've got to know what electrons and hydrogens are all doing and how they behave. And exactly. so that, that's pretty much quantum thermodynamics 101 in layman's terms. <laughs> and I love that you keep saying that if someone if someone's losing energy to their environment, because that's something I try really hard to explain to people that if they are overweight or they have some kind of a autoimmune condition that they're actually losing energy to their environment because so many people when they look at someone who is overweight they'll say oh they've got excess energy right and yes. and that's a that's a common thing that that really gets thrown around and people who are overweight they get kind of shamed for it and you know most people who are overweight that I know that I work with they don't want to be overweight they are exhausted, they are tired. And when I explain this whole, it's your mitochondria that is giving you the issue. We're not going to throw a 1200 calorie a day and, you know, 10,000 steps a day program at you, because that's probably just going to make your mitochondria more sick. So maybe you can break down a little bit for people, what that looks like within the mitochondria. Sure. So imagine you're trying to drive from one side of LA to the other side, Hmm. but you have a hole in your fuel tank. Are you going to make it? You're not going to make (laughs) it. (laughs) And so eventually what happens is you run out of fuel and you keep on driving and then the engine starts to heat up and things start to go wrong. And then the engine starts to blow up. That's obesity. Exactly. So when you are losing energy to your environment, what you may be able to eat or you may be eating however much that you think that you need to eat. But the signal 
of how much you have eaten or how much energy you've harvested from your environment never reaches the brain to tell the brain. So then the brain just thinks, okay, I'm in an environment right now where there's not enough energy. So I need to go into survival mode. When we go into survival mode, it's like we're going to keep all the energy that we possibly have in our body and we're not going to use it at all. And so cortisol rises and we start to store all of the food that we're eating into the fat cells. And that's how we start to get bigger. It's actually a survival mechanism. And um, understand what you're saying, that it's just so hard to wrap one's head around the fact that Mm -hmm. how can you be getting more unwell and, and larger, for instance, if you are losing energy to your environment, the mass doesn't add up. And um, basically, that's because light is a nonlinear stimulus. That's the technical answer. But the, the real answer is that um, we're just not unable to store and then send that signal because the signaling is really what provides that coherence throughout the entire system. We need to be able to tell the brain what's going on in the periphery and vice versa. The brain should be able to signal using hormones. Hormones are essentially clocks. Yes, exactly. And they're just telling different parts of the body, different tissues, what to do at what time. And they're getting that signal through the retina and the skin. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a hard concept for people because we've just kind of, we look at hormones in, in functional medicine, right? So a lot of people have moved away from perhaps the allopathic medical model and they are looking more at a functional medicine model. And so when you look at functional medicine, even let's just say as a female, oh, you have low progesterone, we need to supplement Vitex or we need, you know, we need to do these specific supplements to bring up these specific hormones. And, you know, then before you know it, you're spending $1,500 a month on supplements. But if you're still not syncing up with sunlight every day, your, your body, that, that message is not getting to your brain to get to your hormones so they can actually be those chemical messengers like they're supposed to be. So People always say I'm anti-supplement. I'm not necessarily anti-supplement. I think that sometimes they can be helpful, but I I think that they shouldn't be the first thing that people go to, right? Like I think if they do a lot of this stuff for 90, 60, 90 days, they may not even need them. Would you agree? I would totally agree. I think supplements are good as a bridge to health. Yes. And that bridge is not a long bridge. So we're not talking like 12, 24 month bridge. Right. Ideally, we want it to be as short as possible. But I mean- to take supplements without having your circadian rhythm set first is um, is senseless as far as I'm concerned because everything starts with circadian. And uh, there is also the concept of like that, that negative feedback loop that can be generated when you are supplementing for something that your body itself can make. And so let's say, for instance, melatonin. A lot of people are taking melatonin to help them sleep at night. Melatonin. This I'm glad you brought that up, in fact. Yeah, so I mean... Everyone's taking melatonin to, not everyone, but a lot of people are taking melatonin to help them sleep better. But what they're not realizing that is actually inhibiting their body's own ability to produce melatonin. And a lot of that comes to comes down to them not understanding how melatonin is made in the first place because melatonin is really programmed by that morning light that we expose ourselves to. And um, this is where I get really excited because we get to start, we start to talk about UVC light, which is the so if we look at melatonin it's made from an aromatic amino acid called tryptophan which has aromatic benzene rings which aromatic amino acid that has benzene rings inside of that trap photons so they're literally trap light and the absorption peak of frequency for 
the tryptophan aromatic amino acid that makes melatonin is 280 nanometers, which is right on the border between UVC and UVB light. It's like smack bang on the border. So one could argue you need, you need definitely both. So how do we make UVC light or how do we access UVC light? Because only one or two percent of the sun's UVC light reaches Earth. So where is all the other UVC light coming from that's activating our aromatic amino acids? So like when I was posed that question by from some of my learnings, I was like scratching my head going, how, like what, where? And then I learned that it is actually UVA, UVB and infrared light that interacts with deuterium in our blood to then release UVC light from the deuterium. And that UVC light then activates tryptophan, which then firstly makes serotonin and then later on gets methylated to melatonin down the line. And so it's literally as simple as getting out in the sun in a controlled, responsible way initially before you have a solar callus to start to make your melatonin. And as we know, melatonin isn't just all about sleeping well. It's also about regulating those two critical processes of autophagy and apoptosis, which is pretty much um, kind of the bedrock of mitochondrial function and, and cellular health, isn't it? Because when Absolutely. you have a dysregulation in either, then that's, that's when you start to open the door to cancer. And this UVC light that I'm talking about, I talk about deuterium sometimes on my channels in, um, in a way that is bad for you. Don't consume deuterium because your tissues can be deuterated. But the thing is, is that we want deuterium in some areas of our body. And children need it. I mean, we need it to grow. It's, it's important exactly. for growing. That's, I have two cases of deuterium depleted water in my basement, but I'm not going to touch them because I'm breastfeeding. <laughs> it's exactly. a terrible so, idea. So deuterium is found in breast milk. It, deuterium is found in cow's milk. And so it's definitely growth promoting. And the reason why it's growth promoting is that when the sunlight hits deuterium, it helps to, the deuterium's UVC light helps to create that morphogenic field to guide the development of the organism. That's happening inside the embryo as well. So UVC light is critical. We literally have the sun inside us. Wow, that's amazing. And just to think about that is, is nuts. So then how do we get deuterium out of our tissues into the right spot, into the blood plasma? And that is where you need to have sun exposure once again because it's the sun that deuterium depletes our tissues and gets it into the right spot so that UVC can be made to activate all of these hormones like dopamine, melanin, melatonin, serotonin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's so fascinating how that works. And, you know, just on a, on a simple level, going back to the whole melatonin thing, in case anybody uh, got a little lost with that one, <laughs> I always just think it's, you know, we, in the morning, UVA light, we get light in our eyes, synthesize serotonin from that. There's, you explain the whole chemical process behind yeah. that. And then at night, that serotonin that we make gets converted into melatonin that helps us sleep. And during the day, we're also uh, making subcellular melatonin in response to the infrared light that's it's in the sun as well. So it's kind of helping to, to clean up little bits of cellular damage that are happening during the day so that when we were at night, we could really do the big jobs. And, and I, I think that people don't understand when we say uh, artificial light at night and cancer and all these hormonal cancers, and we talk about hormonal imbalance and artificial light at night. And people are just, I was one of those people. I'm like, Oh Lord, here comes the blue light at night people again. And with their, you know, their blue blockers and all their weird stuff. But 
when you think about what happens when you're exposed to that artificial light at night, what does that do? It makes cortisol, which opposes melatonin. And then we can't undergo autophagy and apoptosis, right? hundred percent. It, it also increases our risk of cancer because it really destroys the mechanisms be, behind how we make UVC light. And so cancer is fundamentally a decision where the cell chooses immortality. So then what's the opposite of immortality? From a cellular perspective, the cell will choose to divide, which is mitosis. And that cellular division is driven by UVC light. And so this is why sunlight exposure is so critical because it is allowing um, it is allowing us to create this special light which we harvest in the serotonin and the melatonin and they come out in the nighttime and then they release that light. So they're holding on to it during the day and then in the nighttime they come out and they release it and then that's what stimulates the autophagy and the apoptosis and the mitosis and all of these types of things to ward off cancer so that our cells aren't choosing immortality but are choosing renewal and regeneration and healing. And so every time I think about it, it just makes my mind uh, run wild, just... Uh, amazed at how beautiful the system is and with my sleep patients because i do a lot of work in dental sleep medicine i'm always talking to them about how sleep starts in the morning it doesn't actually start when you pop your head down on the pillow and it's all that programming by light which you and i are talking about exactly and it's so funny when i tell people about this stuff and i'm like let just change this little thing your morning light don't look at your cell phone get sunrise get some uva few minutes of each, if that's all the time that you have put on some blue blockers. Once the sun goes down, call me in a week. And I have yet to have someone not say, oh my gosh, I'm sleeping so much better. Was it really that simple all along? And I mean, you just did a beautiful job explaining. It's really not that simple. It's this beautiful orchestra that's happening in the body. Right. But for someone like me who super skeptical of these things, but actually tried it. I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know? And so that's the message I want people to, to take out of this podcast among, I'm sure they're going to take a lot of great um, nuggets of information out of the podcast, but Jalal just did an amazing job of explaining the science behind why just going outside in the morning is going to help you sleep better. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's something which is so easy. It's hard. Exactly. For, for so, for so many of us because of our modern lifestyles and uh, we have so many responsibilities and we've mm-hmm. got financial responsibilities mm-hmm. and family responsibilities. And um, just to take out five minutes, to, even just five minutes to go outside and ground looks like a tall ask for many people. Mm-hmm. But once they start to experience it, that 1% change compounds very quickly into a 10, 15% change in yeah. their health outcomes just from changing their morning and their evening light environments. Yeah. And you see it, I'm sure with your patients all the time as well, that you're able to, to, if you can convince them to do it, which hopefully you can, I'm sure you see them improve. Well, it, it, it's funny because I have so many patients um, coming to me looking for um, sleep improvements because in, in the dental world, you have just your basic general dentistry of, for which I did quite a bit of that for six, seven years. And then one day I, the penny dropped and I realized that dentistry was in the dark ages. And so I started digging for um, 
I guess, new approaches to, to dentistry and looking at the mouth because every dentist is going to say that the mouth is the gateway to the human body and the mouth is the start of the gut and all that type of stuff. But it's just all airy-fairy language without much meaning to it unless we can actually talk about how that's the case. And so mm-hmm. one big purpose of the mouth is for it to grow out of the cranium so that we have a big enough airway behind for us to breathe while we sleep. And when you don't have a big enough jaw, the teeth are crowded, and your tongue gets squashed, and so then it starts to fall back onto the airway, and then it's hard for us to breathe. And so that's when sleep apnea, snoring, and the like all start to develop. So I, I have heaps of patients come to me to try and work through trying to fix that. But I am finding myself talk so many patients out of treatment because all they have is circadian dysfunction. Wow. <laughs> And because I'll, I'll do a full analysis just to be sure from a due diligence perspective that there is no kind of jaw issues. And once I do the analysis and I come back to them, I'm like, your jaws are fine. It's it's actually just your light environment and the food and the way that you're living. It's not in line with circadian principles. And so then we have a whole different conversation in the dental chair that's got nothing to do with teeth, but everything to do with light. You're losing money that way. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's the right thing to do for yeah, patients. So it is. Um, I'm putting myself out of business, but I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> well, you need to start doing some quantum quantum coaching. I think I think that would be helpful. <laughs> well, I've actually just um just uh, launched that in the last week or so. Oh, so, wonderful! That's really wonderful. So I, I am going to do quantum health coaching one on one because I feel it's a calling. Yeah, it's something I have to do, and so I won't stop until I get right to the bottom of it and um, understand it all, so I can help as many people as I can. That's fantastic. I thought your listeners, though, they might be interested to know more about um, the jaw side of things. I, I was going to ask that. It's funny. I've kind of been manifesting over the last few months uh, a dentist to like a, that has a different point of view. Like, I yeah. didn't tell you this, but I've been it's it's something I've been thinking about for a few months. I haven't had a dentist on my show, and then you popped into my Instagram feed, and I'm like, oh, fantastic! Oh. This works. <laughs> So let's, let's talk well, in about our speak, it. we call that quantum entanglement, don't it, we? It, it is. It absolutely is. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, with dentistry, there's like different ways to look at the mouth. There's general dentistry, which is fillings and crowns and root canals and extractions and dentures and all that type of stuff, which is all very important. But um, we need to go deeper and look into airways as well, because what happens is, is that the, the jaws are supposed to grow out of the cranium they're supposed to go forwards and they're supposed to go wide. And the way that that is done is for the upper jaw, because the upper jaw is really where all the problems start to develop. Mm-hmm. And it starts right down to the way that the child is born. Is it Was it a, a cesarean? Was it a natural birth? Was it a breech birth? All of these are considerations that can affect the development of the jaw. Wow. And next thing is breastfeeding. Because when a child is breastfeeding, their tongue is engaged against the underside of the breast. They're breathing through their nose. And they are also using their oral muscles to actually extract the breast milk. And so those three things in unison are setting that child up for perfect nasal breathing with their lips closed because their lips are being trained to maintain that pressure. In addition to that, they are, the, the tongue is having the right posture up and forward which is how everyone's tongue should be whilst their lips are closed and, um, and they're breathing through their nose. So nasal breathing really is it's silent breathing with your lips closed, 
with no movement of your head or your shoulders or, or anything like that and with your tongue up against the roof of your mouth. And that's trained right from the start. What happens though in modern society with the allergens that we're exposed to, the lack of sunlight that we're exposed to, mm. the excess blue light which makes us more prone to allergic reactions, etc. We have an epidemic of people growing up with blocked noses. And so then naturally you have to open your mouth to breathe when your nose is blocked. So then the tongue doesn't get to stay up against the roof of your mouth. So if your mouth is open to breathe, obviously, because you, you need to breathe somehow if your nose is blocked, then what happens is the tongue is stuck down in the mouth. It doesn't get to rest up against the roof of the mouth, the upper jaw. And so then the upper jaw never gets to grow forwards and sideways. So it becomes very narrow. And the thing is, is that the floor of the nose is actually the upper jaw. And most of the sidewall of the nose is actually the upper jaw. So when we talk about the nose, really, we're just talking about the nasal cavity. But most of the actual bone in the nose is either the upper jaw or it's defined by the development of the upper jaw. So we need a big upper jaw. And so this is where, like, you look at Western Price's research and um, the, uh, the African tribes that he went to see and all beautiful, massive jaws with... Um, teeth spaced apart and they've got all the full set of 32 teeth and um, the tongues have got plenty of space to sit in the mouth. So that's what we want, but we have an epidemic of people that do not have that. Um, and so what happens, what was happening for several decades in the orthodontic world where um, we're straightening teeth is that we were removing teeth in order to fit the teeth in the mouth mm -hmm. rather than making the jaw bigger to accommodate all the teeth. And so the best time for us to consider that type of stuff is really from ages kind of five through to 14. Like that's a, the earlier the better when it comes mm. to there being a sweet spot to have one's jaw development assessed. Because once they become adults, it's, it's possible, but it's really hard to, to make the changes, whether that be surgical or non-surgical. So for everyone listening, take your children to an airways-focused dentist or orthodontist about when they're about six years old, absolutely critical. That's good information. Yeah, go ahead. That's the, the best time to be able to guide the jaw development. See, the upper jaw, it kind of grows like the brain grows. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with your child right now, you'll be able to feel those fontanelles, which are those pieces of, I guess, areas of uh, where there's no bone in the cranium and it's a soft spot on the crown, etc. Mm -hmm. So then how does the those bones grow and fuse together as your child will get older it's because of the growth of the brain underneath and so this is what we call intramembranous bone and the way it grows is from pressure from the underlying soft tissue so our upper jaw is very similar it needs that pressure from the underlying soft tissue which is the tongue so we need to be ensuring that our children are breathing through their nose from the outset so that the tongue can be where it needs to be to create that correct growth and development of the upper jaw. And so if a child is sleeping with their mouth open, if they're sleeping and snoring at the same time, or if they're grinding, these are all signs that there's a blockage in the nose. And so that needs to be assessed ASAP. What kind and of so, thing would you do to assess that or how would you fix that? So there are surgical options. 
which an ear, nose and throat surgeon can, can carry out. But if the inflammation isn't too bad, a lot of the time it really comes back to circadian and quantum principles mm. of fixing the light environment, tidying up the food, grounding, safe sun exposure, all these types of things. To I, I, I've helped children avoid surgery just from their parents implementing circadian-based principles and healthy eating. Interesting. So it's not necessary that we always go down the surgical path. We can certainly avoid that on a case-by-case basis, but it's really important that we identify that nasal obstruction first because if that is there, that's going to impair everything. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the food, you, you mentioned that a few times. My son is five and a half months. So he'll be, he's six months on uh, April the 5th. So coming up here and my pediatrician at four months said, oh, you need to start introducing foods, which I said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Waiting till he's six months. And then the first foods I want to be like, uh, I found a recipe for a bone marrow puree. Like you can mix breast breast milk and bone marrow and make a little puree and meats and things like that. Cause they're saying, start with uh, vegetables and fruits. And I'm thinking, no, I want to start him to, you know, have meats and things like that as his first foods. What is, what's your opinion on that sort of thing? Um, I definitely agree with you. Um, meats and organ meats are, are great for children. For instance, liver is full of K2 and K2 is pretty good in directing the delivery of calcium to developing teeth. Um, so you can do K2 supplements or you can puree a liver or make a liver pate or something like that. But what you would also want to um, is for your child to be chewing foods. Yeah, like meat so off the bone. having chewy foods because we spoke about the upper jaw and the way that it grows, but the lower jaw grows in a completely different way. So the more tension you put on the lower jaw, the more pressure you put on the lower jaw will stimulate the growth kind of like how all long bones in our body grow, like arms and legs, et cetera. So I think that's Wolf's Law from memory, which is um, all about the more tension that you put on the bone, the the harder it will get and the more it will grow and develop. So um, chewing things in your child and having to um, chew carrots and don't be scared about them choking because they have the ability to get it out. And obviously you're there to supervise as well. But um, there's a... I guess a big push behind us being, I guess, overly cautious with what we feed our children. And we have to let them explore something like a single cashew um, and, and work their way through. Maybe not at six months, but maybe at nine months or 10 months when they, once they build up a bit more confidence. I think I always say to parents that they're there with their child every day at every meal so they can observe and kind of see when they're ready for the next step. And the decision-making process in their mind should always be based around nutrient density, but then also the the motions that are required to chew that food. Because we don't want our children sipping on Slurpees of uh, yogurt or fruits, which is what we're, yeah. which is what we're finding in the supermarkets these days. A, it's not nutrient dense, plus there's no work that's required to right. to ingest these. Right. Yeah, I've I've been I've been studying the last few months of like, all right, this is how I'm going to do it. Because with my daughter, I just didn't know any better. I had no yes. idea about any of this stuff at all, and I just trusted what the pediatrician said. You go to your appointment, you do what they say, and that's the end of it. And it's funny, my husband 
he, he is just kind of taking my lead with everything he has since the beginning of, uh, wanting to get pregnant. And I said, yes. if you know, it's good, this is going to be the way that it is when I get pregnant, this is how the birth is going to be. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I am a little scared of that, but all right, I'll, well, I'll trust you on that. And so we go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician's like, uh, okay, it's time for you to start supplementing vitamin D it's time for you to start feeding him rice cereal. And I'm just like, okay. And then we get to the car. My husband's like, are we going to go buy that? I'm like, I'm doing that. <laughs> of course. Of course. Look, your, your husband's lucky. Your child is lucky because, uh, you're being what I call a, a citizen doctor. Yeah. We have, we have to be our own doctors, don't we? Yeah. Um, Cause we know our bodies, we know our families. And so the onus is on us as parents to find the time to learn what are the ancestral principles and use those to guide us. Exactly. Yeah. The pediatrician was a compromise. We found a pediatrician that won't make us do specific medical procedures that I don't want to do on my son, which right. is a, really hard to find in the city here, but I did find one through the kind of underground parent network. Um, but even, <laughs> even that, you know, so that was a compromise, uh, cause I wanted to see a more, kind of a more natural holistic doctor for him. But even when you find someone who kind of a, agrees with you on that viewpoint, or isn't going to force those certain things on your child there's still like such a disconnect of what health looks like or what we should be doing for these babies to help them develop the best gut microbiome, develop best jaw, develop, you know, just the best health in general, I think. Yeah. And, and this is, uh, I guess it's classic of uh, centralized medicine to cordon everything off into different specializations. Right. So then the specialists are all amazingly intelligent in their own fields but have no idea how each field talks to each other. Exactly. And that's because they talk to each other through that quantum communication highway, which you and Carrie are always talking uh, talking about and um, conveying all that information. So this is where I, I feel a little bit unique in this space because, um, A, I understand things at the quantum scale, but then I'm also understanding like how, how the math plays a big role. Mm. Um, not just in kind of from the airway side of things, but I also feel that the airway dentists themselves are oblivious to the importance of light, which we've touched on. And so they, there's this paradigm of awake dentists, so to speak, mm. who are thinking that the only thing that could possibly compromise sleep is the inability to breathe properly. Mm. Right. And so then they think, well, the only fix for that is jaw treatments, but it's like sleep is, has got such a big role to, um, into relation with hormones and light environments, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where I think kind of quantum dentistry is the new paradigm, whereas you're not you're going above general dentistry, you're going above functional dentistry and yes. airway dentistry, and you're really taking it to the next level and understanding the way that light has a, has a role to play in, in sleep, et cetera, as well as the fact that each tooth falls on a meridian inside our body. And I, I feel that there's a strong correlation between systemic issues and them impacting if the tooth is playing up or not. Even if we can't see any clinical reason for that tooth to be upset, if there is a systemic organ which correlates on that meridian, I think um, as I do more and more research into that space and work with patients, I think that's what I'm going to find. So it's an exciting time. 
Yeah, that's that's one thing that's always been really interesting to me is talking about the meridians and just the whole deal of root canals and the correlation. I don't know if you've studied much about this and I've just kind of heard it in passing in different podcasts, but root canals and uh, issues with like something like breast cancer. Have you looked into that at all or do you know much about that? I, I do know that there's a strong school that thinks that no root canal should be done. And uh, then there's another strong school that thinks that there's nothing wrong with root canals at all. I think with everything, there has to be nuance. And so I'm not an absolutist when it comes to root canals. I I think it's a case-by-case basis. Like if someone is seriously unwell, and there's multiple considerations, there's financial considerations, because if you remove a tooth, can that patient afford a replacement, which is not cheap. Right. If you if you remove a tooth, is that dentist thinking about the postural implications of losing that tooth? Because there are huge postural implications on the rest of our body when we lose teeth. Mm, so I want to say something crazy right now. Your back teeth are like the heels of your feet. And so when you start to lose back teeth, for instance, because the dentist is not willing to do root canal therapies and you're not replacing, that's when you start to get instability in your posture. So like you can kind of see this is the scale at which I look at things. I zero right in, but then I also zoom right out to understand how losing back teeth can affect feet stability and pelvic stability. And so root canals, if it's a really bad root canal, like it hasn't been done well and it's seriously infected, I get why it needs to come out. But if it's been dormant for several years and there's been no issues whatsoever with the tooth and there's no systemic issues that we can find that could correlate with their tooth. Why should we disturb it? Right. I hope you're enjoying today's episode with Dr. Jalal Khan. I just wanted to pause for a moment and thank you for listening to the show and ask you if you are enjoying it, if you would head on over to Apple or Spotify, whichever platform you listen on, to leave me up to a five-star review so that it will reach more people, so the show will reach more people. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend or a family member who you think could benefit from it. I think that that is the way that we continue to share information and empower people to really heal themselves is through sharing podcasts just like this one. A quick little reminder also that you also get a discount on my courses by using the code podcast at any time. So if the information in this podcast is sounding really interesting to you, but you're not really sure how to apply this to your actual health, I have some fantastic programs to get you started. The 21 day leptin reset has gotten amazing reviews and it is a 21 day lifestyle program that's going to help you implement all the things that Dr. Khan and I talk about in this episode so that you can actually maximize your mitochondrial function if you are stuck and unable to lose weight or even gain weight. And my quantum nutrition program is brand new. You can save on that again with the code podcast. It is an in-depth nutritional program which gives you strategies to navigate between different types of nutritional programs to upgrade your health and upgrade your mitochondrial function. So make sure to check those out linked down in the show notes. And without further ado, let's get back into the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, it's 
It's so fascinating to think about just the downstream effects and the whole back teeth thing makes me wonder about us taking wisdom teeth out because mine were, I had a very small jaw. I mean, I grew up in the nineties and it was like pop tarts and processed foods. And we weren't big on eating like a ton of meat. It was the low fat era. And so I didn't have the best nutrition growing up. I had to really, I didn't really understand all of that until I was well into my thirties. And it was like this journey of kind of undoing everything that had been done the first 35 years of my life. And so they took my wisdom, they, they were impacted and they just cut them out and, and I was 14. So they never even grew in. They just kind of took them out. And, uh, that was the end of it. But I wonder how that because we haven't, we haven't taken my daughter's out. She's got a huge, she somehow has beautiful teeth and a perfect jaw, even with all the issues that she's had. Cause I started making her eat burgers all the time when she yes, was yes, little, yes. like I made her eat tons of meat. Um, that's all she would eat when she was little. So I think that was a, a fortunate thing, but it's like, my husband's like, we need to get her to a dentist and talk about maybe getting her wisdom. I'm like, no, we don't. She I don't think she needs those taken out. Honestly. Yes. Um, I mean, with wisdom teeth, they are important from a postural perspective. And the question really is, uh, did our creator put wisdom teeth there to be removed? Yeah, we did, did we remove teeth for a millennia? You know? Exactly. Exactly. So the problem isn't that the wisdom teeth are there. The problem is that, once again, the jaws are just not big enough to accommodate mm-hmm. them. And so this is where um, hopefully we see this paradigm shift in the way that dentistry and holistic health is delivered where there is a really big focus on jaw development because it's so critical to airways as we've touched on but also on posture because you can have all your teeth and you can feel them all and when I say feel I mean sense because a lot of people that come to see me they close their teeth together and they can't feel their back teeth Mm -hmm. and they're so viscerally disturbed by the fact that they can't feel their back teeth that it affects them emotionally and they wow. walk into my room and they're and they're crying wow. and so let me get the book i have a book called dental distress syndrome the dental physician okay so this was written decades ago like we're talking 70s 1977 then and and the the writer of this ac fonda but this book was just not being read by dentists. We didn't even know about this at dental school, but this has got everything, all of the holistic stuff, all of the airway stuff, all of the posture stuff. And I had to buy it. This was printed on based on my order from the States. So The Dental Physician, excellent book. Please read that. But um, I was talking about uh, I was talking about teeth and, and, and posture and how it can really affect people. So... What the job of the teeth is, it is to provide proprioception, which is a sense of space. Where are you in space? Provide that information to your brain to tell your head how to sit on the spine. I'll say that again. Your teeth are telling your brain how to sit on the cervical spine. Interesting. When you close your teeth together and you can't feel all your teeth, or there is an imbalance to one side or the other side, your brain registers chaos and it doesn't know how to sit on the cervical spine. And so as a result, what happens is other parts of the body are going to start to compensate to help you stabilize you. So you will start to use muscles for posture 
that are not designed for posture. And so those muscles will be the jaw-clenching muscles, such as the ones on the side of our face, because I'm trying to work really hard to find my team. Wow. And then you start to get lots of temporomandibular pain, et cetera, et cetera. So jaw-clenching is more postural than anything else. Interesting. Postural stress is a big one. And, I mean, there's obviously emotional stress and work-related stress and all those types of things which can contribute to clenching. But if that's all fine and you're still clenching, that's a postural issue for me. And uh, when the brain doesn't, when the head doesn't know how to sit on the cervical spine, other parts of the body that can compensate can be the pelvis as well. I see a lot of pelvic tilts in my patients, which correct once we reposition the lower jaw. So <laughs> that's crazy, isn't that what I just it said? It is really crazy. The lower jaw is kind of like the pelvis of the cranium and it's held in only by muscle, very similar to the pelvis. And whatever happens to the pelvis, the same thing is happening to the lower jaw. Very interesting. And so the, the classic stance or presentation that I see in patients is something called a right a, a right-sided or right-dominated stance. So I'm going to go slow and a bit technical here. So hang with me. Yeah. Humans are normally putting more of their weight when they're standing on their two feet. They're putting more of their weight on their right side. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is that we've got better peripheral vision inputs coming in from our right eye than our left. It's just the way we're made and why. And the other thing is, is that the diaphragm that's used for breathing has a very strong attachment on the right-hand side into the liver. So when you have such strong inputs coming in from the right side, we tend to stand on the right side. And what happens is, is that when we are walking, then we take a step forward with our left foot and then we take a step forward with our right foot. And that reciprocal motion breaks us out of that right-sided dominant stance and we take a step with our left foot and then we move into the left side dominant stance. So there's a constant alternation between us putting more weight on our right side than our left side. People get stuck when they are unable to unlock themselves from the right dominant stance. So when they are walking on their left foot, they are still, their body is oriented in a way that is still in the right dominated stance, even though they've got their pressure on their left foot. And so the classic presentation, everyone listening can go and look at themselves in the mirror, is that your right shoulder is going to be down compared to your left shoulder. And it's a very complicated myokinematics of how the muscles work that re result in that. But if everyone goes and looks in the mirror and sees their right shoulder down, that confirms that they're in a right dominated stance. But then if they can walk towards the mirror and if their right shoulder continues to stay down, that's a sign that they are potentially stuck in that right dominated stance. And so you need to see a good physical therapist as well as um, a posturally trained dentist to be able to help unlock what the problem is and then identify what the problem is and then treat accordingly. And so there's a lot of physical therapists that get nowhere with their patients because they don't know anything about how the teeth playing a role in posture. So I get a lot of referrals in Sydney from physical therapists and other body workers, chiropractors, osteopaths, etc., who are kind of coming to me saying, Jalal, I'm scratching my head. I can't help this patient. I've tried everything. And all it was was that their jaw was in the wrong position. And once we guided the jaw back into the right position, 
and then kind of helped it stay there by rearranging the teeth to accommodate that harmonious and neutral jaw position for posture. Everything falls into place. I'm so, this is like got me because I'm, I, I was going to ask chiropractors because my chiropractor is always, my right hip is always pinned under and she's always, okay. you know, it, every time we go, it's always, and I've been going since pre, like all the way through pregnancy and afterwards, because you know, your body just goes through a lot. <laughs> and I mean, but it was like that before when I was teaching yoga, I would always just kind of notice my right hip was acting up and it just always would be a little bit pinned under. And I always assumed, does it um, go up? Huh? It, it kind of gets pinned under. So it's, it's okay. really, and I always assumed it was because I had an accident when I was like 19 and I broke, I shattered basically everything in my ankle and in my tibia, I had major surgery. And then a year later, I decided to start running marathons like a smart person and, and, and got arthritis in my right ankle because this, the wow. surgery didn't heal properly. And so I'm ever since my early twenties, I've just had this issue with my hip and I always assumed it was because of the accident, but now I'm like, Hmm, because everyone will tell my, my bottom teeth are not pretty. And I've been told, Oh, just go get Invisalign. And I want to talk to you about that because I, my gut is like, I don't think Invisalign is a good idea now that I'm hearing about this, because what if this kind of like makeshift Invisalign, you just put trays in your mouth. I don't think, I think my teeth are this way for a reason. Like, I think this has happened. Like it's an evolutionarily like thing to kind of protect me. And I wonder if I just do this Invisalign thing, am I going to get like weird headaches or is it going to change something else in my body? So I know I just like threw a lot at you. <laughs> no, that's fine. The key words that you said just then was that like, it's an evolutionary mechanism to protect you. Mm -hmm. So anything muscular or postural that is hurting is actually there to protect you because if it wasn't hurting, you would then do a function or an action in a way that would actually hurt you. So what stops you from doing that? Ah, that hurts. I'm not going to go any further. And so we then need to work out what is it that it's trying to protect you from and, uh, and work our way back. So I'm not saying that teeth and jaw position is critical for a postural assessment for every single person. But in your instance, when there is a pelvis which is continually playing up, or it could be a shoulder, or it could be one's feet or ankles, for instance, that's when we need to be like, okay, to continue to go every week and expect a different result, Einstein, would be insanity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, chiro the chiropractor's loving life because he's yep. got a repeat customer and he's not really, he or she's not really fixing the issue. Right. But we have to go, we have to go deeper. And so, in your instance, I'd probably seriously consider a dental assessment with a dentist that's trained in ERI, Postural Restoration Institute, which is uh, the organization that I trained with. They're based out of the States because it's PRI trained dentists and PRI trained physical therapists that are really good at understanding the quantum coherence of the body from a structural perspective. Because I think that quantum coherence is twofold. I think it's functional, which is mitochondria and light and cell membranes and water and all those types of things. But then it's also structural as well, because when the muscles and the fascia are all tied up because of postural and dental issues, then the collagen gets tied up and twisted so that this 
the information and energy can't actually travel through, can it? Right, no, it can't. And so that's where we see the trigger points and stuff like that, which are actually impeding. And acupuncture is great as a short-term relief. Mm-hmm. But oh, acupuncture those, used to help my hip quite a bit because I did a ton yeah. of it, yeah. But it's going to eventually revert back to what it was yeah. because the patterning of your muscles hasn't been changed. And so, um, so from a dental perspective, like let's say, for instance, you were a good candidate for some de- for some dental approaches to posture. What I'd be trying to do first is work out, okay, is your lower jaw in the right position? Is it too far back or is it bent down to one side because the upper jaw is bent down to one side? Mm-hmm. So what I would do first is work out a way to mimic the ideal scenario. So I'd come up with some appliances one or two, maybe one for the upper jaw and one for the lower jaw, or maybe just one for the lower jaw to balance out your lower jaw so that it is parallel to the floor. Hmm. Once we do that, if we are then able to correct all the other muscular and postural issues that you have with a physical therapist, then we know that this is the setting that you need to restore structural quantum coherence to the rest of your body. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Then we can consider Invisalign. Now let's move the teeth so that they mimic what we just temporarily created with appliances. Because if we just do Invisalign straight off the bat to make your teeth look straight and nice, beautiful smile, but the jaws are going to be off. Mm -hmm. So it's like let's work out where the jaws go first and then rewind and work our way back and be like, okay, what do we need to do now to the teeth to support the new neutral jaw position? which sometimes is Invisalign or or braces. Sometimes it is like in a really serious instance, it's like surgery to make the jaw bigger. But it can also just be build-ups on teeth to um, so that you can, so that the teeth are high enough and at the right height to be able to support the new position of the jaw. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And it's, (laughs) I I feel good now. I feel like I trusted my intuition because everyone's like, Oh, just go get Invisalign. You sh- you've, you, you're an adult. You can afford it now. And my, my thought, I'm just like, something just doesn't feel right about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, um, I think, don't you find that the intuition gets better and better the more we clean our light environment and get oh us a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, it was like when I started doing all these things after I talked to Dr. Cruz and shifted so many things in my life. I just, all of a sudden one day I woke up and I said, I don't need all these supplements. Like, and, and then I learned about deuterium and, you know, most supplements are just loaded with them. And so I got rid of a lot of them, most of them, you know, and now because Carrie and I run our fertility course, the women are always asking me, what supplements did you take for prenatal? What do you take postpartum? And the way that I do my supplements or their organ meat capsules really um, and desiccated oysters is I just kind of put, and it sounds insane. I'm like, I put them in my hand and I just kind of close my eyes and I'm like, "Mm, no, I don't need these today. Or I need more of the organ complex. I need more of the oyster. And I, that's how I dose myself (laughs) with, with what I need. I just kind of like, I'm like, Yes or no. And, and Carrie says she does that with a lot of her clients. It's like a form of kinesiology. Um, I was about to say, I yeah. was about to say that that's in line with kinesiology. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's your water. It is feeding off the energy and saying, no, we don't need this. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's really bizarre how that happens. You just kind of intuitively know this is, this is not, not what I need today. And the, the whole water thing, obviously I did like a two and a half hour long podcast with Veda last night to talk about water, but I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on water, water network, how all of that plays into what you do and, and how you help patients as well. Um, well, it'd be hard to back up after Veda, but. Um... <laughs> well, I think a lot, it's totally a different conversation because we're talking about like looking at, you know, a unicorn in a Petri dish. <laughs> Some people yes, are, yes. we're going to lose a few people, unfortunately. So. <laughs> Plus Carrie's done such an amazing job as well. So here's what I think. I think that, as Dr. Cruz says, the it's a three-legged stool to health, mm-hmm. which is light, water, and magnetism. Light provides the stimulus. Water provides the medium of flow of electrons. And the magnetism actually provides the guidance of the path that an electron takes from one biomolecule to another. So if you, if you cast one's mind back to high school physics and you're learning about magnetic fields and you're drawing those magnetic field lines, those are the paths that electrons will take from one biomolecule to another. So then if you look at that system, then what is the glue? It's like, it's, it's everything. It, it, it fills in all the spaces. And Carrie's spoken about the, you know, the work of Dr. Pollack and the charge separation of water and the exclusion zone water. And these water liquid crystals in the exclusion zone water, they can reorient themselves according to the magnetic field. So they have dipole moments in them. And so they're able to change their arrangement and then they all align in the same way. So once once everything's aligned in the same way, I kind of think of it as like, okay, imagine you've got all these soldiers marching in unison and they're all marching with beautiful form and function exactly the same way. Through all the gaps between the soldiers is how electrons can pass through from one to another but those um, those soldiers are the liquid crystals of water that are um, that are providing that form to the cell that's that system. So that's my take in my mind on on how water works in the body. And so the other thing is is that it's not just an intracellular water; it's an intracellular, extracellular, extracellular matrix. It's all one and the same thing, isn't it? And uh, with these encasing all the biomolecules with hydration cells, etc., we have this like we can't even use words or diagrams to really contemplate just the the magnificence of this network from a macro to from a micro to a macro scale in our body of of how this water orients everything and communicates everything so i'm not even going to try but um how is that important from my approach to things i think that uh Let's say, for instance, if we look at teeth, teeth are on those meridians, and those meridians are on channels in the water. Mm-hmm. Those on those water in in those water networks. Trigger points in muscles are headways on those channels. They're hurdles. They're blockages of energy and information um, communication. And so, we when I start to treat patients that have got jaw issues or jaw position issues, et cetera. The relief that they start to show on their faces, they come in for subsequent visits is, is visible because you can see that uh, all the tension is starting to erode away from their neck and, and, and shoulders, et cetera, because that quantum coherence is being restored. They're getting that signal from the feet, from the ankles, from the knees, from the pelvis about what's going on below. 
And all of a sudden, then the head's happy. It knows how to sit on the spine. And so it's, it's kind of like you're unleashing the power of that person just by restoring the structural coherence to the water networks rather than um, simply fo- focusing on the, on the function. Like I'm that kind of guy who's always like trying to push the boundary and go more and more and more and find out. So, you know, when I discovered this whole concept of quantum coherence, which by the way, I mean, quantum coherence, what is that? It's kind of like the smallest aspect of a system of the body of the cell acting independently autonomously but for the benefit of the entire organism yes yes exactly and that's what societal coherence looks like as well where we are all doing our own thing but we are doing it for the benefit of society and so that's the way i live life it's like there's an epidemic of the individual these days where we're all just focusing on ourselves and we're not willing to do whatever we can to make uh, for the greater good. I mean, there's a lot of us that are doing that, but I think too many of us are squabbling over diet, dietary dogmas and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it um, feels good not to do that anymore. <laughs> I know. And I mean, it, it can get frustrating. It can really work on work, work our energy down, can't it? But mm-hmm. um, that's why we've just got to keep on pushing that light message and that water message and that magnetism message because it, um, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And for me to be so unequivocal about saying that it is the truth will come across as dogmatic, I know, but it's the laws of nature. It's, exactly. It's, it's mother nature, it's lady evolution. Like it's the laws of nature. And if there's one thing I've learned in life, you don't argue with women. So when mother nature and lady evolution are, are saying that this is the way it is, then it's the way it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny when I post, I'm sure you're going to start getting this eventually, or you may be getting it. People will go onto your post and write source, please. What are your sources for this? You know, they want to, they want the scientific study. And I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm sure you can pull studies for, but I don't understand why somebody needs a study to understand that we got here today because we basically lived outside and ate the food that was seasonal and local to us because it was what was available. You know, whenever I talk about food, they, people want to pull you into this dogmatic discussion and it's like, yeah, well, there's no banana trees here where I live. You know, there's, it doesn't make sense for me to really be eating a lot of those foods, you know, and, and now, and like you, like you said earlier, the more connected that I am to the sun and, and outdoors, I don't crave bananas. I don't crave the really, really sweet fruits. Now, summertime last year when I was pregnant, watermelon was definitely a thing that I enjoyed <laughs> liberally because I was pregnant. So I'm like, I'm having as much as I want. Um, and I probably will this summer as well, too, because it's we grow them here where I live. And so, you know, and I'm, I don't feel guilt about it. It's not like carnivore versus, oh, you're eating fruit with all this sugar in it. If you're doing it when it's growing and it's available and the strong UVB is up in the sky, then I don't see a problem with it. If you're metabolically healthy also, I got to throw that caveat in there as well. If you're leptin sensitive. That's that's right. It's, um, it's all about matching the, uh, the input into the environmental signal. Cause if you're in a, if you're in an environment of like, um, either the tropics or in a really strong solar yield, but you're eating foods that don't correlate that. But according to traditional dietary dogma, it would be healthy, let's say low carb, high fat. 
right. but you're living in the tropics, your mitochondria are not going to be happy. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They want that signal of coconut and coconut water, even though coconut water at high latitudes was terrible for you. Spoiler deuterium. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But if you're in the tropics, the mitochondria want that coconut water. Yeah. And if you're in the tropics, your body has a greater ability to deplete deuterium. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So what else did we, I know we had a few things you wanted to talk about. Did what else was on the list that you wanted to chat about? Or did we, did we hit all of the things? I really, look, I really wanted to touch on um, general dentistry, functional dentistry, but then the step up with the quantum dentistry. Mm. And I think um, I'd like to think I've covered that well, kind of just reinforcing that like functional dentistry is really looking at airways and stuff and like, and, and nutrient dense foods and jaw development, which is all really good, but we have to go one step further and look at the quantum side of things, and which I feel is twofold. It is teeth sitting on meridians, so keep an eye on teeth and match that up with what we're seeing systemically. But at the same time, it is understanding the role in posture that teeth and jaw position have because if the teeth and jaws are off, it can upset posture, which destroys structural quantum coherence. Mm, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I, that's a, a major issue, you know, especially when you start getting a little bit older and you f- kind of feel the aches and pains quite a bit more, you know, when yeah. I was younger, it was like, oh, this yoga pose is difficult for me. It's, it's annoying. I need to go get some body work done. And so I was always getting body work done just so I could do specific yoga poses. Now I'm yes. in my forties and I've got a little baby and I'm like, I got to go to the chiropractor because I, my back is killing me. It's like two different things now. And it's, it kind of makes you think like, oh, maybe I need to look at this jaw thing. So I'm definitely going to be looking into that. Well, look, um, if you, what, one other service I do offer um, is uh, I have people all over Australia that um, will send me their scans. Okay. And um, I ask for this. I give some instructions on photos that I would like to have taken. And so they might have their partner or their friend take some photos. Um, and then I go and I do an analysis of the photos and scans and tell them what I think, because it might not be feasible for them to travel to come and see me, although some do. But uh, like that's something which I'm extending to international um, clients as well. Um, so like I'd be more than happy to consider that, um, to do that for you. Um, awesome. com- com- complimentary for on the house for having me on the podcast. Um, so, um, and, and that way I could kind of give you an idea of what I think. Oh, that would be amazing. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll have to do a, a round two. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions from this podcast. So I feel like I'm going to have to have you back on <laughs> in the future. Um, um, I, I, it, it would be a pleasure. Um, yeah. uh, if there's lots of questions, I'm happy. It, I've done my job then, which is to kind of, push and prod and get people thinking in a different way. Absolutely. And, and just speaking of that, if so, and I'm going to put all of your information in the show notes, YouTube and on the audio only, but if someone's listening and they want to find you right away and follow you, what's the best way to follow you or get in touch with you? My Instagram handle is k 2 caliber A2C-A-L-I-B-R-E. Um, it's the same for Twitter. And um, I am about to launch a website, which is going to be k2caliber.com, which will have information about the quantum dentistry analysis and consults that I'll be offering worldwide, as well as one-on-one quantum health coaching. And with that, I offer a 30-minute discovery call 
as complementary um, to see if uh, client, prospective clients are happy with me, but at the same time, if I feel that I can help them as well. I love it. I love it. Well, this has just been fantastic. And I really appreciate you making the time. I know you're busy seeing patients. So thank you so much for taking time out of the middle of your work day. It's, you know, 930 at night here, but it's lunchtime there where you are. So I really appreciate it. No, that's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Jalal Khan. I think we're going to have to have a part two. There was so much in that episode that was so fascinating and interesting. And I just love so much of what he has to say about quantum health and our health just in general. So I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to head on over to either Apple or Spotify. Leave me up to a five-star review. It will help to get the show out to more and more people. And I want to thank quickly two sponsors of today's episode, Viva Rays, my go-to source for circadian glasses. You can use my code YOGI to save 15% on those glasses and Optimal Carnivore, a brand new landing page just for my audience where you get special pricing on their organ meat supplements, optimalcarnivore.com backslash Sarah. Again, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. A quick little reminder, if you are ever interested in taking one of my courses, I have an ongoing code podcast in all caps where you can save 10% off of those courses. So check those out. There's a link in the show notes along with some freebies for you. If you're not quite ready for a course yet, but you want to get some of my free content, those are all linked in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic rest of your day.